The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to The Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I am the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at The Bird Rights and get all the latest on your Pelicans at thebirdrights.com. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host and the third highest ranked doofus on Pelicans Twitter, Preston Ellis. Now, this is our weekly recap where we will be covering the Pelicans' losses to the Wolves and the Jazz, as well as their most recent stunner in Portland, as well as previewing upcoming matchups with the Warriors, Nuggets, and the Kings. To discuss this and more, we are welcoming onto the pod David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. Thank you for joining us, sir. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. And I was just saying... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Off the air, what a lovely timbre you have to your voice. It, it might be the nice microphone or it might just be the soul behind your voice. But uh, also on the pod, as always, we have the editor-in-chief of our network, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, the holidays are in full swing. Are your, uh, are your Christmas shopping done yet? Not a single one. <laughs> I'm right in the same boat, man. I was just looking down at my phone, and I'm like, oh, man, it's it's three weeks away, and I haven't even got given thought to it yet. Uh, for you fans, you can follow David at DM Grub. That's two Bs, or at CrescentCitySports.com. He's got a featured article on the Pelicans right now talking to Anthony Davis. And, of course, you can follow Ali at Ali Cosell and at the Bird Rights. David, let's start with last night's victory over the Blazers. As uh, Ali stated on thebirdrights.com, the Pelicans won in Portland for just the second time in their last 14 trips. Not only that, but they did it by scoring 98 points in three quarters against the second-best statistical defense in the NBA. After losing AD to the pelvic injury Thursday against the Jazz, the Pelicans came out with a 14-point deficit early in the first, only to run away with it behind 38-9 and nine from DeMarcus Cousins. David, the question on everyone's minds in New Orleans right now has to be, are the Pelicans better without Anthony Davis? <laughs> no no it's just the silliest, silliest question ever if anyone anyone who asked that you should either check if they've been drinking or you know taking some oxycontin or anything like that because that's just that's just a, a ridiculous notion i mean i think what you, when you look at what happened in portland 
Yeah, you got probably the most efficient game from Boogie in over three weeks. Um, and then you had Rondo, you know, in the first half hitting shots. And they, as a team, you know, the Pelicans hit threes at a, at a very high rate. And for Portland, what you saw was their front court gave them nothing. Um, not not one of their forwards really gave them anything. I thought maybe Ed Davis was going to give uh, you know Cousins some trouble for a minute, but he really didn't do anything in the second half. And then as they did in the first game, only one of the Blazers' guards was able to score. In the first game, C.J. McCollum got hot in the second half and was able to, to help. But in this game, only Damian Lillard was able to, to score. So I think, you know, there was a, a, just a lot of uh, parts that came together. The Pelicans played well as a team. That was probably, as I said, their best team performance of the season where everybody contributed in a positive manner. And I don't know how many times you can expect that from this group because they're such a shallow group and because the shooting of some of these players goes in and out from a night on a night-to-night basis. So it was a great win to have. But then you put it in the context of the entire season, um, it's, it makes up for maybe one of the two or the three that they've given away that they should have had already. Yeah, Ali, I'm going to throw this over to you. Uh, Cousin said, no excuses. It stinks that my partner in crime, AD, went out last night. That being said, we kind of crumbled as a team the previous night, and we just tried to come in with no excuses. The question I'm going to pose to you is, uh, obviously, there is an element of that. The Pelicans came out shooting uh, very poorly in the first quarter last night before blowing up. Um, is A lot of people on, on Pelicans Twitter right now are referring to the fact that the Pelicans seem to play a little bit bit better with one big and spacing the floor with four shooters do you give a lot of credence to that talk none none at all and I'd be laughing if my voice wasn't hoarse right now <laughs> it's uh <clears throat> there's these ridiculous notions that like to go around and it's off of one game two game samples look simple matter of fact is Boogie is playing better <clears throat> as David mentioned we haven't seen him play like he did to start the year the first five maybe ten games where the effort uh, the decision-making was a little bit better and such. And, you know, I mean, it, it vanished. But I noticed in the Minnesota game, and especially in the Utah game, DeMarcus started to be more focused. He actually started running back up the floor. Like, when, when his man would start running up, he would actually put his head down, just go ahead and go, wouldn't argue after every time he didn't score with the referee. Um, and, and best of all, he's not shooting the three as much. And uh, it, it just, it's like all of a sudden a light switch went on. Honestly, I think between Rondo, Tony Allen, the coaching staff, I think somebody's finally getting through to him. Uh, at least that's the hope, you know. We have to hope that a guy this talent is going to figure out how to basically make better use of his talents in this league. Because for seven, his first seven years, he was in Sacramento. Obviously, they were never winners, I think. Uh, what was it? I remember Preston, I was going to do that piece where – I wanted to see how many times over 500 he was for his uh, career. I think it's something right around 42, 43 uh, days. That's it. Out of uh, seven seasons worth of games, he's only been over 500 for 42 days before coming uh, to the Pelicans. So all that has to add up. And, you know, there's two trains of thought. Is he just going to stay this way simply because habits die hard? Um, He's ingrained. He's already kind of a temperamental, fiery type of player. Or can he make inroads? And I think, honestly, this last three games, we're seeing something that's really interesting to me. And especially with AD, I'm telling you what, how many times did you guys think when either Nurkic or especially Myers Leonard tried to provoke him, whether it's with a hard foul, taunting, whatever it was, in the past, the smallest of things would, you know, have him off the cuff, not yesterday. How surprised were you guys to see that? Go for it, David. I know I joked. 
I know I joked on Twitter that I thought maybe um, Boogie had gotten into some of that Oregon legal um, before the game because he was so calm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I, hey, hey, whatever you do is your business. <laughs> but um, no, he did. He was very composed last night. And I think I think you're absolutely right, um, Ali. And, and when you talk about the influence that that Rondo has had coming back, because I remember that one of those uh, I think it was the home game against um, Minnesota where I mean, he was, no, it was San Antonio, the San Antonio game. And Rondo was forcefully motioning for Boogie to get up the floor and, and just demonstrably trying to just tell him to get in a position. And I think he needed that. And we know that they played well together the one season they were together in Sacramento. So, and, I, and DeMarcus is not necessarily a very trusting guy, um, you know, when it comes to his, you know, the people around him. And the coach that he performed best under was Mike Malone, who was a very stern kind of guy. So, I think that discipline has to come from somewhere within the organization. Alvin is not Alvin Gentry is not necessarily the kind of guy who's going to get in your face a lot. Um, but I think having uh, Rondo who knows him and having Tony um, and then having a comfort level with AD, uh, I think that has helped over the last few games. Again, is it sustainable? I think there will always be some outbursts with, with DeMarcus. I think that's just the nature of who he is, but it's just like what you have when you have a, a mercurial player like a Dennis Rodman or an Adrian Dantley. You know, if you want to go throughout NBA history, how do you get those guys in position to perform? You have to let them have their space, but at the same time, you have to let them know their limits. David, I'm going to stick with you for a second. We don't, uh, as of yet, have a timetable for Anthony Davis's return. Uh, we've already got confirmed reports from Will Gullery that uh, he will not be playing against Golden State tomorrow night. But farther than that, we we have no idea. Obviously, the ambitions of the Pelicans, David, are, are, are just an eighth seed in the Western uh, Conference playoffs. Nothing too lofty. And with the injuries going around the association to Rudy Gobert and Blake Griffin, it's, it's definitely within sights at 12 and 11. The Thunder are struggling out of the boat. Before we move on, I just wanted to touch on a question. I'm going to hit both of you guys. This is from uh, Solomon on Twitter, and it's basically just how how much time without Anthony Davis can the Pelicans survive and still keep in that playoff race? I'll start with David. I mean, when you look at the schedule, it's a very difficult schedule over the next several games. It's um, not an easy schedule. so. Excuse me. I just think it's going to be hard for them to even break even over that time. But what you want to do, I guess, is not fall too many games under 500. Breaking even would have to be the goal for me. I don't think they can gain a lot of ground, but I think they can try to keep their heads above water. But the main thing is they've got to win home games. They have to win home games. And that's just something that they struggled to do all year. So I think if they can do better at home, because they've seemed to perform pretty well on the road. Um, I think that they have a much better shot of sustaining but but any AD absence that goes longer than two or three weeks, I mean, I think that that submarines their playoff chances um, quite possibly. Now you are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Let's throw it over to Ali. Uh, last night we got a clip of him in the Moda Center. This is uh, Anthony Davis I'm talking about. Uh, gingerly walking with crutches. Now that's a pretty good sign. One, because he's not back in New Orleans. Two, because he's not in a wheelchair. He is putting weight on that foot. Uh, just take a guess for us. How, how long do you anticipate him to be out being uh, accredited medical professional like you are? <laughs> and uh, is, is it going to be enough time to, to save the Pelicans playoff hopes? 
Man, you know I hate speculating. I, that's why I don't go on Twitter and, like, with these guys, react to something instantly. But it, you put me on a spot, and I'm honestly going to say it's going to be like a two-to-week, two-to-three-week thing. You know, after that, as soon as after that injury happened, he couldn't even, you know, sit upright for the trainer. I, you saw the pain on his face, and then he had to be helped off the court by Diallo and whoever else it was, maybe Ostrich. And he wasn't putting any weight on the left side, barely on the right. He's basically carried out of there. And then, of course, you heard about the wheelchair being wheeled in and such. But just, you know, 24 hours later, here he is entering Moda Center. And I watch it. Fox Sports New Orleans had it right there on TV. And he's coming in. He's not smiling. You're joking. But it's the way he was walking, you know. He was putting plenty of weight on. As for you thought, honestly, he might have been able to give it a go without those crutches. So that was extremely, extremely a positive thing for me. Um, and I guess when this happened, this might be a muscle thing that happened, you know, with his hip. Because everybody's pointing to where he ran in the stanchion. And I agree. That's probably maybe where this this injury, whatever, went back to, stemmed back to. But, yeah, because it did, he didn't react instantly to, you know, that moment in time. And what was it, about six, maybe ten minutes later? Um, I don't know how many minutes on the clock that was. But it seemed like it was roughly about six minutes later in the game is when he had that injury happen. So, you know it's not probably a broken bone. I've never heard a player break a bone, and all of a sudden six minutes later, oh, shit, I broke a bone. I'm in a lot of pain. No, I, I don't know. I, it's something weird for sure. And let's face it, they called it a groin injury, and now it's a pelvis injury. So you have to think – I'm thinking it's muscular. I mean, and, and that's that's the hope. If it's like an oblique, something like that, and it's not that serious, and the fact he was moving that much better, like I said, 24 hours later, there's, there, there's, it's a positive that he may not need surgery. I mean, you, it's all speculation here, but seeing that improvement from just within 24 hours, I've got hopes that this may not be a one to three month thing. Like a lot of people kind of, you know, guessed on Twitter and rightfully so within those first minutes, first few minutes of his injury. So I don't know. It's, it's a fingers crossing, uh, Preston, but I'm not happy that the Pelicans have, you know, kept us waiting all day for this news. The Saints have already won, you know. People are in a good mood. We can take it. Give us the news. Ali, did you forget my name back there just a second ago? No, I was thinking Pelicans, and I thought, no, I'm actually wanting to say Preston. <laughs> <laughs> I had to call you out. David, you've been on this podcast for 12 minutes now, and we've already had a marijuana reference, and we've had a profanity drop by Ali just a second ago. So things are, are really going off the rails for us so far. Help, help steady the ship for us. <laughs> Let's let's talk some Rajon Rondo. Uh, he played well last night. He had 12 and 10 in 28 minutes. Pretty much everybody played well. But uh, the reason that I bring up Rondo is his residual effect on other on other players. If you look at his at his individual numbers, nothing really pops off the screen. But since his return on November 13th, which is 10 games uh, ago, Drew Holiday uh, had has not scored in sin- single digits since that game against the Clippers. He's not given up more than three turnovers in a game. In fact, he's averaging less than two. Uh, including a three-game span where he didn't give it up at all. And likewise, Darius Miller has been on an equally uh, pretty consistent streak, averaging 13 points per game with 50% shooting from three over that time. He had his highest minute total uh, last night, 34 minutes. Now, Rondo is only averaging a couple of points. I'm not looking at it right now. I should have done that before that. But how does he manage to make players around him better, David? Well, I think the first thing you see offensively is, is his creation of space. Um, he he knows where people are supposed to be, and he's a decisive, uh, you know, decision. He's a very good decision maker with the ball in his hands, and I think he he understands both offensively and defensively what both teams want to do. 
you know, it's easy to say, wow, he's such a creative passer. And yeah, he is. I mean, he makes passes that no one on that team is capable of making. But I think his intel- his basketball IQ of knowing everyone's roles and putting them in position to, to do the things that they do well is the best thing that he brings to the table. His also, I think also his demeanor, where Drew, um, when Drew has the ball and is, is the, the dominant playmaker, Drew can be indecisive. Drew can be timid in big moments. And like you said, he, he, he can have turnovers at the worst times. It's not, it, it, it never was the number of turnovers for me with Drew. It was always where they came. And I think what Rondo does is he, is he understands the value of the basketball. He's not a big turnover guy. He never has been. And so he's made that spread throughout the team. I mean, you look at last night, turnovers. He also had no assists. And I think that's the Rondo effect. Because with Rondo orchestrating the offense and not having to rely so much on running an offense through DeMarcus and not having to run it through Drew, two guys who, who shouldn't be your pri- um, primary ball handlers, I think it's made the jobs of everyone else so much easier. And then for a guy like Darius, who now understands, hey, I can catch and shoot, but I'm also going to get found if I move. I think that's made his game better. He's not just standing there and shooting. He is able to create off of one or two dribbles and get a, a closer shot if the three isn't there. And I think Rondo's brought that to the table. Defensively, I don't think he's a huge upgrade because I think at this point in his career, he's a, he reaches a lot. Um, but uh, he's been good enough at that part. Um, but I think what he does in the locker room and just his overall basketball IQ uh, are higher than any, anything that anybody else had on the roster before he got there. Ali, I want to continue this line of conversation with you because uh, David made a good point. Uh, defensively, he doesn't give you what he does offensively, but he does bring a lot of communication on that side of the floor. And we've seen a lot more success from Drew Holiday. Handling the ball a little bit less has given him more freedom to uh, to sort of lock down uh, offensive players like we saw last night, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, those kind of types. I'm trying to reference uh, some like uh, Devin Booker types that he played a real good hand in shutting down. Talk talk about Rondo's effect uh, as a player, as a leader. I looked up his numbers. He's only averaging six and seven and 23 minutes, less than two turnovers, though. Talk about the stuff that we're not uh, seeing on the stat sheet, Ollie. Sure. I mean, David touched on it a little bit already with uh, the, the presence in the locker room, just being on the sidelines and being in games, which I think is now we're beginning to see. His effect, he's getting his game legs, I think. Um, last couple of games, Rondo's been really good. He's, uh, his defense has really picked up. He's now rebounding the ball. you got to look at these other things that he should provide. And you know what? His jumper's actually going in. It's looking a lot better. Um, before, God, the guy couldn't make a three to save his life. He wasn't crashing the boards. People were like, wow, we don't have this Boston Rondo at all. But anyways, getting back to your question, Rondo is really helping out, but simply by uh, – controlling the offense and that in turn controls the game you've got to remember there's certain players for the pelicans who do not bode well whether it's with pressure or just simply putting too much usage on their shoulders um and i'm really thinking about drew Holiday and demarcus here you don't want both of those guys feeling the need to initiate the offense um so they've got that guy. But here's the big thing, though. When you've got a guy that's controlling the offense, getting the ball to the right people on the right moments and such, those bad turnovers, guess what? They suddenly start disappearing. They start going down. All of a sudden, the opponent's not going to get 
you know, say DeMarcus drives on two people, gets stripped easily, and you've got two Pelicans standing in the corners, and I take your pick where the other guys are, but we're not stopping the ball. We're giving up two or three easy points on the other end. Suddenly, that's not happening. I've noticed the last few games, the Pelicans have gotten so much better and on both ends, and it's strictly because of the decision-making. I don't know. I, I preached this all summer. I was happy Rondo came simply because we have never had the decision maker on the course since Chris Paul of NBA quality to me. Uh, sure, we've had like Jared Jack, Revis Vasquez. We've had certain glimpses of certain players, but they were never, you know, the type that you felt like you could be a playoff team even. Um, and guess what? The records have proven that. So Rondo's given this whole team something that they haven't seen in, in, in a long time. And it's, it's really, I think, in helping Alvin Gentry and uh, Chris Finch's offense, too. Um, the ball was really sticking. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, but for some fans that don't watch the games all the time, that became a huge problem. And again, when the ball sticks, the offense isn't going to perform as well. You're going to have more turnovers. The defense is going to be susceptible to being out of place. And therefore, the Pelicans always felt like they were kind of always behind. Regardless of the score, they just didn't seem like the better team, the, the, the team that was executing had a chance to win against the better team. Suddenly, that's all changed simply because Rondo's back. He's playing more minutes. He seems to be getting his legs. And it's relieved a lot of our better players from certain duties that they're just not very well equipped to handle. Now, you were listening yeah, to I, 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 Sorry, go ahead, David. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, the Pelicans are not a team that's built up of a lot of guys who can handle the basketball one-on-one. Um, exactly. -on -one. uh, and so they need to move without the ball. And, and like Ollie said, when the ball stuck for that team – we ended up with the Pelicans end up with a lot of bad possessions that ended in shots that, you know, were either forced or were from spots that guys shouldn't have been taking them. And with Rondo's ability, he wants to keep that ball moving, even though he has a reputation as a guy who wants to hog and hunt for assists. I think as he's gotten older, he's learning that, you know, I can, I can get the ball moving and, and maybe the, the hockey assist is just as important as the direct one. Um, so I think that that's been huge uh, for them. And then, like you said, for Drew, his defense has gotten so much better. He was already a very good NBA defender. But I think not having to have the ball in his hands, it's made him, I think, a contender to be an all-defensive selection because he's been able to really shut down uh, some some guys over the last few games. And I, I think his, his, you know, he's been the biggest beneficiary um, in total, even though maybe his offensive game hasn't picked up as much other than the reduction in turnovers and a slightly better shooting percentage. I see. Yeah, but hands down, this is the thing with Drew Holiday, man. Before Rondo, he still looked like the guy we saw last year, right, guys? Because lately, with Rondo back, I think Drew's playing free on both ends of the floor. Even though, David, like you said, his shot's not all the way back yet. He's had a couple of games where he has found his shot. And more importantly, he's looking for a shot, man. He had a couple of 20 point, or was it, excuse me, uh, 20 field goal attempts in back-to-back -back games. He had 18 in the last one. This is a Drew we need. We need somebody taking all those shots from the backcourt. Uh, I think, David, we even talked about that with Andrew. That's where they, they were such a top-heavy team. You had AD and Boogie. Regardless of where they could play on the floor, you needed a wing, you needed a guard, you need somebody to just just to shoot the ball, just just to be a, an offensive threat. And Drew is doing that, and it's honestly coincided perfectly with Rondo. Uh, do you guys see that? Drew just looks like a free guy out there. It, he seems relieved, and, and yeah. I, I think he he never embraced the role. I think that was given to him, um, you know, before to be the guy who led the team from the backcourt. And I don't know if some of that goes back to that first year when you had 
Tyreek and you had, some, you know, you had some very difficult personalities, let's say, um, for guys to mesh. That team never seemed like it, you know, everybody was on the same page. And I think maybe Drew's um, mentality changed a bit. Uh, he wasn't as aggressive as he had started to become in Philadelphia when he got to New Orleans. And I think that relief now of like, okay, this is going to be my role now. This is what I am. Yeah, if he's going to take the shots, take, I'd rather him take them and miss them than not yeah. take them as he was doing for about, it was like a seven, eight, nine game stretch where it felt like he was just passing up shots that were wide open or just, you know, was so indecisive offensively. So, yeah, he ha- you want him to be a 17, 18 point game, uh, point per game scorer. I'd love for that to be where he is and getting maybe, you know, six boards, five assists a night and one or two steals. Um, I think that can still happen this season, but it's it's directly dependent on how well Rondo continues to play. It's a wonderful example of just how important turnovers are in the game of basketball. The Pelicans only gave up 11 last night. We saw how effective they could be when they're able to hold on to the basketball. And Drew Holiday, if you look at the stat sheets, there's there's not a, uh, a big difference pre and uh, post Rondo. He's at 15 and a half, which is two points more per game, but he's still averaging about 45%. I did the math myself a little bit earlier, and I think about 23% from three with Rajon. So his shooting numbers aren't particularly much better, but it's, it's like you guys say, his, his, his concentration, his confidence, uh, his ability on defense and just, just passing the eye test, uh, just really being comfortable out there, being aggressive. Like you said, I can't remember which game it was. I want to say it was against the wolves where 30 seconds into the game, he was jacking up uh, three pointers, three feet behind the line. And that's just not the Drew holiday that we saw the first 10 games of the season. Uh, I want to continue on with you, David. Uh, first of all, you guys are listening to the bird rights on nothing but net network here on dash radio. Now we can't talk about the win last night without talking to, about the play of Omer Ashik. Uh, Ashik. I'll never get his name, right? I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to call him <laughs> OA from now on uh, his, his screens, setting uh keeping the blazers off the glass keeping those short possessions and overall just i, I want to say awareness keeping the blazers away from easy shots keeping them out of the paint he only played 14 minutes but he kept more importantly demarcus cousins at 34 uh i'm sure all pelicans fans are just just excited to see him happy and healthy and back on the court after that scary ad last february when he came back from mexico with um I can't remember what it's called, uh, Crohn's disease or something of that point that that right. caused him to lose such significant weight. David, talk about one how good it is to see him back on the basketball court, especially with his hefty salary, and what you saw from him last night. Well, I think you know it's been for three years. People have been talking about uh, Anthony Davis needing somebody um, next to him who would do the dirty work, who would just be willing to you know box out, set screens, um, and that's what people wanted out of Omir. And last night, you know, like you said, he played just under 14 minutes, but he had seven rebounds. Um, you know, like he set screens. He played good defense on his man. And if he can give you that every night, he's still not worth the contract you gave him, but he becomes a, a good rotational player to have on a team that like has struggled to find depth in, on the bench, especially in the front court. So to have him to be functional, to be able to give you those minutes and you say, and, and change that rotation again with, if um, whenever Anthony comes back and not have to rely on, on smaller guys to play that four position or to play the five and give and move um, either DeMarcus or Anthony to their preferred positions as a power forward. Um, I think that that's a huge plus for the team. Um, also, 
again, and, and I know we, we kind of don't want to talk about these things, but down the road, if he does become a piece that somebody needs, you've got to see if he can play. And last night was a, a good start, a very good start, an encouraging place for him to jump off and show that he can still contribute as an NBA player. So, yeah, I was definitely um, happy with um, his performance. And I think, it, you know, you, you're, you're, you want to see how he does in a second game coming back against the Warriors and if he can, you know, run the floor still and if he can do those things. But, but last night was a great first night for him. Ali, to continue in this line of thinking and get a bit dark for a second, talk about his performance and talk about what this potentially means for Czech Diallo. Hmm. You know, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. But first, I, go, I just want to say with Ostic, last year he looked slow. He looked mechanical. Honestly, he looked like a guy that was injured before Crohn's disease hit. I don't know about you guys, but in these first two games, uh, both what in Phoenix, he, he hasn't played, David, I think, in three games. So last night was his second game. Um, against Portland, but yeah, I didn't I really count the first one because he only played like a couple of minutes. So it was a, like it was like yeah, yeah. he played both the fourth quarter minutes. I know it's garbage time minutes, but yes, I was just watching how he's been moving. He he's still that big, slow seven footer, but you know what? He he's just moving better. He he and he doesn't even have his game legs. I don't know. I think last year, honestly, it's, it's telling me he was honestly hurt. So yeah, he's not a good player. It was a bad contract, but. But on top of all that, I think he played hurt all of last year because just seeing him in this first few games, he looks honestly like a better mover, period, on his feet, on, on being able to reach, able to get to places and, and such. Um, and you know what? I even almost saw him make a couple catches uh, before, God, stones a hand, Oshik, right? Last year, last couple of years, where he, or the rim stuffing him, you know, when he's trying to have an open dunk. I think if we may have moved past that. I mean, that would be huge. If we can get backup minutes for DeMarcus and, and on a, for a guy that can set those type of screens, get, you know, get every rebound out there, hopefully grab a few offensive rebounds, that would be outstanding. That, that would be a dream come true that probably nobody imagined when the season began. So with all that said, how positive that is, yeah. Shaq Diallo is obviously going to take the hit here. I doubt he he wasn't getting the minutes anyways, Preston. So let's 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 be honest and factual here. The the coaching staff was only giving him minutes because they honestly had nobody else to turn to. Dante Cunningham was starting at the small forward. Both the Jensa and Oshkick were hurt, so <laughs> looking up and down the roster. But you got, I mean, hell, they even tried Josh Smith. And that didn't work out. Um, he, he didn't have much game yet. I do remember a few games he got a hit in the head of Diallo. So that just shows you where Diallo is on a curve. Um, it has nothing to do with where he may end up. Fans have got to realize that. But he's still raw. He still makes way too many mistakes in just a span of, say, three possessions. And you just can't have that on the NBA floor because teams are so good about exposing uh, weaknesses on the court, regardless of what end it is. And, you know, Diallo has. He's just not ready. That's the bottom line. So, unfortunately, you would like to see him get developmental minutes because it's sure be sitting on the bench. Um, I'm curious if they may even explore the G League uh, for him because you want the guy playing. He he still needs basketball minutes. He's I don't know if he's even hit a thousand minutes yet between college and NBA uh, and G League. You know, last three, four, whatever years of his life. So he he just simply needs to play, whether it be with us G League, but. Honestly, I don't see him pressing off. If things stay positive, New Orleans is still in the playoff hunt. He's just simply not going to play, especially when we're starting to get some of our bigs healthy. 
too bad because yeah. he was just catching a bit of momentum in Las Vegas Summer League there. Uh, although he could join Jalen Jones and Charles Cook, who are playing phenomenal basketball for the Greensboro Swarm right now. Sorry, David, I cut you off. Get in there. No, I think absolutely he needs more time. I mean, this is a, a kid who didn't play a lot of high school basketball. He didn't. He played, you know, a handful of games at Kansas, and then he hasn't played much in the NBA because he isn't ready. And and I think I was exactly right. This this team, because they're in such a uh, a mode of we have to win now, that um, I think that they don't have time to develop him, and that's unfortunate because you see in glimpses the talent that he has, the athleticism, and the the, the uh, quick jumping ability. He could be a good defender if he had more defensive awareness, but I just don't think he's had enough reps to understand and to see um, and recognize what other teams are doing. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the kid get more minutes um, somewhere, you know, and I think the G League is a viable option because last year when he was in the G League, you saw him put up good numbers. And I think, you know, you have to have that opportunity to fail and the Pelicans do not have the minutes to give away for him to fail. All right. And something that I wanted to continue on with with the minutes that Ashik is getting and uh, with with Diallo out of the picture now, there's there's a lot of space at the backup four for Dante Cunningham, a role that we all envisioned him playing at the be- beginning of the season. And then uh, ill-fated injury to Solomon Hill thrust him into the three position, something where where he wasn't so successful at his minutes have dropped to 21 a game at this point uh, where he's playing a lot more significant minutes early in the season although last night playing at the four he had one of his better nights uh in just 14 minutes he tallied eight uh eight points in a season best 12 rebounds including two of two from three he was ice cold from there early on in the season and uh now it's important to note that the bulk of those minutes came at the four not the three ollie talk about uh dante cunningham and a potential more natural fit at the four position do you expect him to continue this level of play in anthony davis's absence (laughs) No. What the <laughs> hell happened to Dante last night? Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. That probably came out a little too rough. I'm not laughing at Dante. Really, buddy, I'm not. But listen, we've all watched him for years here in New Orleans, and this guy simply does not exude too much aggressiveness out of any one of his pores, especially offensively. What he was doing last night was, I don't know, it was like you know solar eclipse all over again. Rarity, right? 12 rebounds in 14 minutes. Did you hear yourself read that, Preston? That's incredible. <laughs> for Dante, we've, we've argued for years how this guy only manages to get five, you know, four or five when he played 30-32 uh, minutes, and he gets 12 and 14. And it was the way he got them. I don't know if you guys remember, Drew Holiday got off to a rough start. He missed, like, his first three layups again. But on one of those misses, Dante came flying through a couple of uh, the trailblazers and put it in on their first offensive rebound of the game. And that seemed to set the tone for the rest of the night. He was flying in, trying to grab every rebound. His three-point shot looked good. He played like a totally confident, ridiculously athletic, um, I'm, and I'm going to do stuff on the court type. This is not the guy that we've seen consistently, and I don't understand what happened. Somehow, he, he must have stolen some of Anthony Davis's mojo. I mean, they, we, we've got to open up an investigation here because we, whatever happened, we've got to make sure it sticks around because Dante Cunningham's always had the ability. And I don't have to tell you guys, he's always been the guy that can all of a sudden have that chase down block in the middle of the game of who, who cares who it is, LeBron James, you name it. He would always have those wow moments. And we've always wondered why can't he just put it all together, play like that throughout. And, you know, for 14 minutes last night, he did play like that guy. Uh, he had some block last night. I can't remember on who it was, but it was also an impressive play. And then you mentioned two threes. He's finally finding that three-point shot. So, wow, how huge would it be if 
Dante could become that um, I'm going to help on the rebounds, I'm still going to play tough defense, and I'm going to be able to stretch the floor, that would be huge. Because for the first, you know, 18 games, everybody's been talking about what? We need more depth behind AD and DeMarcus. And I've, I've honestly been looking at uh, more floor stretchers, like I say, a bigger four, a three, four, while others have been saying we need another four or five. But regardless of that um, argument, Dante is suddenly providing one of the big holes the Pelicans have had for most of their schedule thus far. Um, the key is obviously going to be can he keep it going? Um, I don't think it had anything to do with Preston starting in place of Anthony Davis. I simply don't. I just think somebody got in his ear again, who knows who it was. And then when he started getting, you know, making plays and the confidence started growing and, and you could just tell it was because it, he, he was shooting, he was squaring up, waiting for the ball, shooting the three right away. He was doing everything that you want to see an aggressive um, player in the NBA. Who's just going to rely on instinct before man, when he was a starter, all he did was it seemed like he used to think out there. And then when he missed a couple of shots, he was looking to pass the ball nearly as much as Drew. They just didn't want to have anything to do with having the ball in their hands. Suddenly things are coming together, and Dante's another guy. Um, this, this is a promising, promising development. Uh, we can't expect this to continue 8-12 and 12 in 14 minutes, but something along the lines of seeing that aggressiveness and making a few plays every night, that would be a huge plus. David, did you catch on Twitter last night? Uh, a lot of people were having fun with Will Gullery. Uh commenting on Dante Cunningham starting last night and he accidentally uh, autocorrect got the better of him and he accidentally wrote can't Cunningham will start tonight did you catch that David I missed that one <laughs> oh, I lost it that was funny <laughs> I missed that and I usually because I, I you know Will is, is is another you know really good guy who I love to follow but I missed that one and I wish I had seen that one well you know because, he didn't I mean, take it down so you, you can't you can't guarantee it was a mistake <laughs> that's wrong Preston but go ahead David go ahead answer to that you know it, you and again you know when we sit up there and we're watching these games we've said this about Dante so many times it's like if you were building a basketball player and you just saw his body you're like oh yeah that guy looks like a basketball player and then when you watch him play you're like that guy's a basketball player because he does he just makes so many mistakes it's it it you know, there are nights when he'll shoot six threes and you're like, that's not the job you've been sent out there to do, you know? And, but he, I think he's had double figure, what, two double figure games this season. I think for Dante, the two things that we saw last year when he had good games was one, he was able to get movement without the basketball, cutting to the rim, getting alley-oop dunks, things like that. And that was not happening for him at the small forward position. Um, you know, when he was starting there, he, he never got any backdoor cuts or, or um, he really wasn't getting fast break opportunities. So I think he's always been better when he gets out in transition um, and his rebounding has been inconsistent, obviously. I mean, I think, you know, most games he's getting three, four boards um, and, and in a lot of minutes. So and he's, he hasn't been a particularly great on ball defender either. So, I mean, you hope that this is an uptick. You hope that this is the start of a trend, but I mean, this is a guy for his career. He's a six point a game scorer and he'll give you maybe four or five boards. So you know that the, the he's going to go back to the to the mean at some point. Um, but if he cannot make the mistakes, if he cannot take the wrong threes, you know, when he shoots one from the from the wing rather than the corner, you you you, you just feel bad as soon as his, his arms start to go up. So, you know, you want to see him just make good decisions while he's out there. It's not how much for him, it's really not as much as how much he's gonna bring 
to the table. It's don't take anything off. Give me, give me your six and five. Don't take bad shots. Don't let your man beat up on you. And then we can, you can get those 14, 15 minutes a night out of him um, as a reserve four that, that can help the team. But if he has to play extended minutes in, at any time, it's eventually it's just going to be a loss for you. It's going to be a negative for the team. Boy, you nailed it. Not only has he only had two double-digit performances this year, they were both against Toronto, 11 and 10. So uh, you you pulled that one out of a rabbit's hat. Well done, sir. Uh, again, you guys are listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. And speaking of the three position, I'll start this over with Ali. Uh, a lot of people on Pelican's Twitter clamoring for Darius Miller to get the start there. Um, he does offer a lot in terms of uh, passing recognition. You have a great article right now recapping last night's win about just – the, the overall basketball acumen that he's picked up in the first 22 games, just overall awareness, knowing where to go, picking his spots, that sort of thing. But with that being said, Etwan Moore is playing well, uh, Ali. He's uh, actually shooting 52% from the floor, 42% from three. Do you want to pull the plug on Moore and bring uh, Miller into the starting lineup, Ali? No, no, especially not with Anthony Davis out. You, you need to um, – you can't be flipping too many roles all at once. Uh, with AD out, and we don't know how long he's going to be out, I think now the best bet is to stay with what suddenly seems to be clicking. Because at first, the three-guard lineup was not working, and there were so many reasons for that. But um, we, we don't have to worry about as much now because Rondo's getting his legs. It, it seems like the guys, the chemistry's improving in that backcourt because I'm loving how they're moving and passing and hitting one another. Um, so the, the size they're giving up on the defensive end isn't as glaring um, but I still feel like Drew Holiday is the only plus defender we have out there. That's another reason why I'm a little worried by each one more. Rondo. I have not seen either one um, impress me on the defensive. And that, that is a problem. You're going to face a lot of teams, a lot of good teams, have at least a couple good perimeter players. And as David mentioned earlier, Damian Lillard went off last night. Guess what? Drew Holiday was guarding C.J. McCollum most of the night. I can't remember who was guarding yeah, either player in their first matchup, but Holiday has been bar none the best defender. So, no, you you've got to stick with I think with what what is kind of working regardless of you know my defensive concerns. And put it this way, all of a sudden you're going to have to move or I'm sorry you're you're going to shake up Darius Miller's world by putting him in the starting lineup where the lights are going to be brighter. Um, he he's going to be asked to do a lot more, and especially with AD if he misses time, you know that Miller would be asked to you know be really aggressive and coming against starters in this league. That's not such a sure thing. Uh, you want, you know, players that don't have that confidence, don't haven't established themselves to kind of get their feet wet. And you can do that by staying uh, a reserve coming off the bench. So, no, Preston, I think this is something that we've got to stop talking about. I think Miller's best role in, in the meantime is you keep him right where he's shining. You need those two, three, four, three-pointers he's throwing up every night or making every night and uh, making heavy plays now. That, that's what gets me every time. Um People will focus on what a player is their best asset, but people aren't really talking about what Darius Miller is, what, what else he's doing out on that floor. His defensive work is still a work in progress, but he has now become kind of a multiple threat, I want to say, on offense as to where he can break down an opponent, but better yet, he can find, make the right decision and hit a cutter. He hit DeMarcus a few beautiful passes last night, and before, he's made a lot of other good passes in the previous, like over the last 10 games. So, Darius Miller is blossoming, but there's no reason to change his um, his uh, uh, what, what God talk about role. like oh his his role <laughs> yeah exactly 
<laughs> I forgot a four-letter word there. Uh-huh. So his, his role does not need to be changed right now, Preston. Just stick with what's working. You, you know, the Pelicans don't have too many reliable options, but Miller off the bench is one of them. I would hate to see them mess with him. Suddenly they lose that, you know? As a stage actor would uh, tell you, Ali, next time you get hung up on a word, I think you're just supposed to shout out line, and then David will immediately uh, feed the, the word that you're looking for. Isn't that right, David? Sure, I'm, I'm fine with that. Now, you got to be careful about what I might shout out. So. Uh, How much do you trust me? Take this. We've, we've got a lot of different uh, – th- we're, we're not going to talk on this too much or Ali's going to get upset, but uh, we've, we've got a lot of great contributors coming off the bench. Tony Allen, Jameer Nelson, Darius Miller. Uh, other, let's say other than uh, Darius Miller, who has impressed you the most out of Tony Allen and Jameer Nelson? Uh, all three of these guys kind of led that bench mob out of that 31-17 deficit late in the first quarter and uh, gave the Pelicans their first lead of the game. Even even at halftime, I think they were already up by eight. Which one of these guys is impressing you the most, and do you expect to continue this level of play? Personally, I think it's Jameer um, because of how his, his value to that second unit um, and even occasionally playing with some of the starters. Um, you know, Tony um, physically, uh, defensively, I think has slipped a little bit. He makes a lot of effort plays. He will give you the effort but I don't think he's the defender um, that he, that, you know, maybe they, they wanted him to be, but um, it seems like offensively he's been, he's been in the right place at the right time a lot. Um, but I think overall Jameer, the fact that he can um, again, orchestrate the offense. Uh, he is a threat offensively to, you know, with the ball in his hands to shoot or penetrate. And the fact that for his size, I think he's, you know, a, a decent rebounder. Um, and defensively, he hasn't been overwhelmed by anybody uh, so far. So I think that overall, you know, his his leadership and his skill is outside of Darius has been the most valuable thing off the bench. Nice. And I love the way he spaces the floor. Uh, last night, there there's just some moments you don't expect. You expect him to come up, lead the offense, kind of put people in their place. And all of a sudden, he's jacking up a three and it's going through, uh, going straight through. And it's from the top of the key, I don't know, like 25 feet out. And just a smaller player uh, at age 35, you don't necessarily expect it and help space the floor and provide more more room seemingly for everybody. But I also love... Uh, Tony Allen, just just the effort, like you were saying, he has slipped. Uh, I think he's also somewhere around 35 years old. But there's something infectious about that. For all the grief that we give to Marcus Cousins about the frustration fouls and the turnovers and the technicals, uh, the the yin to that yang is somebody like Tony Allen, who is fighting for every loose ball, who is like getting into his teammates' faces and like encouraging them and talking them up. Uh, talk about the bench, Ali, and uh, how how important were they to the turnaround of the game last night? They were everything, and they've been huge you know, over these last 10 games where the Pelicans have had some impressive wins. Um, and, and Dave is right. Jameer, when you compare, like, say, just Jameer Nelson, Tony Allen, what they bring to the table, Jameer Nelson is more valuable. But what I love about the bench is the fact that everybody's so different. You've got Darius Miller, who can play positions, you know, three or four. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say he can guard any guards because he, no. he's just not quick enough. But he, he can go ahead and give you some legitimate minutes in small ball lineups. And then you've got Tony Allen, who could play – pretty much one through four because of his aggressive behavior um, and mentality. And then you've got Jameer Nelson who makes the right assist, but he's, he's shooting the hell out of a ball press and way to bring that point up. He's shooting 41% from three. Last time he was over 40% uh, was when he was 28 years old. So that's seven years ago. That's outstanding. And now we've got Omar Ashik. Suddenly you've got a bench mob. Uh, before we, we were like Alvin Gentry, not we, excuse me, Alvin Gentry had a hell of a time finding just one, 
contributor in like the first five, ten games. And now suddenly he's got a guy for almost any role that's needed out there. I think that's outstanding, and that's a big part as to why the Pelicans are suddenly now finding themselves in and winning some unexpected games. Uh, you always knew Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins largely were going to contribute. You knew that Drew Holiday would, you know, have his – 10 to 15 point games. Each one more would have his games where he get hot. But other than that, what else did we expect? There was nothing. Nothing was working for those first 10 games. And suddenly everything seems to be clicking. And, and you've got to give the bench a lot of credit because they've solidified as to whether we've had leads or if we've been down to, you know, for them to start the comeback. So, yeah, Preston, you can't, you can't understate enough of what they've meant. Even though some of these guys are only playing 10, 15 minutes, their minutes are valuable and they are being productive. Now, uh, you are listening to The Bird Rides on Nothing But Net- Network here on Dash Radio. We're talking to David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. Time flies when you're having fun, David. Uh, we're at the 46-minute mark, so it's time to talk uh, previews. We've got the Warriors. Uh, last time we faced them without uh, Kevin Durant, and it didn't much matter, even with Anthony Davis in the lineup. Likewise, the Denver Nuggets destroyed not only the Pelicans, but broke a lot of Pelicans fans' will. I remember that night uh, just how exasperated we all were, myself included, with the Pelicans. Uh, until on Friday, they face off with the Kings, who uh, had that stunning come-from-behind victory uh, led by DeMarcus Cousins. That one was Sands, Anthony Davis, and I remember we really needed that one. And uh, Jameer Nelson was a large culprit for that win. Take us through these three games. They're all at home. Um, what do you expect to see from this week, David? I mean, you know, best case scenario is a two and one week where you get Denver and you get Sacramento, um, you know, but your worst case, I think the you know worst case scenario is a one and two, um, because I think, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not counting the Golden State as a, as a win opportunity at all without Anthony Davis. Um, Denver is one of those teams that you're supposed to beat and you have to beat them at home. This is that's a game that you cannot give away. So I hope that the effort is there. And again, it's going to be really incumbent on DeMarcus against Denver to have a, a controlled game uh, because of the front court that Denver brings to it. And then it's going to be especially important for how does Rondo defend Gary Harris? Um, because Harris has been playing very well all year. And we saw in that first game how well Moutier was able to get up and down the floor. Um, you know, everyone shot the ball as if there was no defender in their their face for much for basically three quarters of that Denver game um, in in Denver. So um, defensively, they're going to have to give a much better effort. Sacramento again is one of those trap games because you've got Philadelphia coming up right after that, and I think Sacramento is one of those teams that you could overlook. But Sacramento has a lot of those little pieces and guys who have at times this year played very well. I think it's going to be a difficult week. I mean, any week without Anthony Davis, if it's if he's out the whole week, will be difficult. But I think, uh, you know, as far as the team goes, defensively they have to get people – these games have to be played in the low 100s for them uh, rather than the teens or the 20s. And how exciting is a DeMarcus Cousins-Joel Embiid matchup going to be, Ollie? Oh, man, that's going to be glorious. <laughs> I, just hope, I just hope DeMarcus can – you know, refrain from wanting to bite Embiid's head off when he either he says something to him or better yet, make some kind of motion. I mean, every time I watch this guy, he's taunting the other guy. For instance, in the Pistons game, in the Phillies' last game, Drummond fouled out, and, and, what, and what does Embiid do when he's walking down the free throw line getting ready to shoot free throws? He's just raising both arms, pointing at the doors, the locker rooms, you name it. I mean, this guy, is, he, he's great. He's pure fun. He, he's why I love watching basketball. You know, you not only want to see good basketball, you want to be entertained and Embiid is the total package 
Um, so yeah, with Boogie, uh, I I pray that last last game Boogie game before. I hope that Boogie shows up a little more mature. Keep my head on tight because they're gonna need him. Preston Golden State. You, you can say what you want. That that's got to be a loss. You just got to pencil that in, even though it's in New Orleans. Uh, we have an established home course, so I'm chalking up it as a loss. But against the Nuggets and then the Kings, those two have to be wins, and then you've got to be at least two and one. I think they will be. Nuggets have been four and three since Millsap's injury, but you know what? They've had some really bad losses, and they barely beat the Bulls. They just haven't looked good. So I feel like the Pelicans, even without AD, should be able to beat them on the home floor. Kings, you know, the Kings are the Kings. They've been really bad of late. I've, I've watched the other night, Jaeger, um, first five minutes in the game, he made a hockey substitution and picked up a first technical. Uh, and within the first five minutes of the game, just to get his team fired up, those, those guys just don't feel like playing. They're playing terrible basketball. New Orleans has got to win that. So coming into Sunday's game against Philly, which I, I would hope Anthony Davis could return, but if not, that one's going to be tough. Honestly, I'm, I'm looking at that one probably as a loss. Unless they can yeah, come, back, come together. What's that, David? I was just saying with that front line, you know, with Ben Simmons oh. and Embiid and then, you know. And then Covington um, and Reddick. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I'm, I'm with you. So, now this might be lunacy, Ali. Um, but you you and The Ringer both uh, had preseason projections having DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, I know I shouldn't I shouldn't couple you guys together. I'm so sorry. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of. I don't know why we have so much animosity to the ringer. We all clearly read it and listen it and buy into all the stuff that they do over there. They're all brilliant guys, but uh, I, I guess it's always easy to, to hate the man when you're the underdog. But uh, you guys both have have a lot of love for DeMarcus Cousins in terms of the uh, most valuable player consideration. And this is a prime time for him to, to earn some of those votes uh, with Anthony Davis out of the lineup. The Warriors are not invincible this year. They're 17 to six. Obviously they're the best team in basketball. No one's going to argue that point. The point that, I'm going to argue is something that Steve Kerr was talking to Bill Simmons about. And that's, it's just hard to stay interested when you're in the month of December, when you've been to three straight finals and the Pelicans have them at home, they've lost, get this 19 of their last 20 against the Warriors. The the streak has to stop at some point, right, Ollie? <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. No. Uh, I mean, I... That's a great number. That's a great number. Let me real quick, David. I'll give it to you in a second. <laughs> Preston, you can't look at something like that. That's frivolous. I have never seen uh, what was it, Kevin Durant, uh, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry have a disinterested night against the Pelicans. It may happen against other teams. I wish it would happen against ours, but until it happens, I'm not buying it. I don't know. I mean, you've got to see that as a loss. And if we're down a superstar – and there's, they've still got all of theirs. Um, I know that somebody may be rested. Yay, Steve Kerr has the luxury of doing that. You've got to remember, when you're listing their record, you've got to factor that in, Preston. Not only are they disinterested, they have rested a lot of key guys so far. But anyways, David, go ahead. The floor is yours. I just don't see it, man. The Warriors are the Warriors. The Pelicans just can't match up yet. No, not even at full strength. I don't think that, you know, they're just, they just don't have the pieces because the Warriors are just such everyone can do more than one thing. Uh, you know, you can put guys on that team at just about any possession. I mean, you know, you've seen Kevin Durant play center and do an excellent job. I mean, you know, defensively, I think he was the reason they won that game. And, you know, the, 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 first, the, the home opener was because Durant's defense was so good. Um, so I think the Warriors just present a problem that the Pelicans, you know, even with, with a healthy AD, it, it's, it's a, a hill that, that is almost impossible to climb. And, and I think I think the Warriors enjoy 
um, you know, beating Coach Ginger. That's that's their guy. And, you know, I think they want to continue to show that, hey, you know, we're still good. Not any animosity, but, yeah, it's fun to beat people who used to be on your side. Well, I will just throw in there that it was just a week ago that the Kings upset the Warriors in Golden State. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just, you're saying there's a chance. Come on, I want to beat the Warriors. Uh, we we got sports. I know. Let's let's wrap this up, David, because we're at the 54-minute mark. Uh, before we do that, I know how tight you are with Misty Surrey, and I just want to get behind the scenes for a second. <laughs> Tell us about the status of Frank Jackson, Solomon Hill, Alexis Agenza. When are we going to see these guys back? I don't think a Jensen's going to play at all. I, I think they have no intention of playing him. Um, you know, uh, as far as Solomon Hill and with uh, Frank Jackson, you know, I, I, I call airline highway the iron curtain because they don't give out information. They, they never have the saints don't the Pelicans don't. Um, so you have, I have no idea how far the rehab is going with those guys. I mean, you know, Solomon's been a little bit active on Twitter, but he's not talking about his status. He's not talking about his physical ability. And, and I mean, with the kind of injury that he suffered, even if he came back in early March, I don't know how long it would take for him to be a contributor. Um, Alvin Ginger doesn't like to play rookies much anyway. So at this stage with the backcourt as crowded as it is, I don't think Jackson would get many minutes uh, whenever he does come back. Uh, so I, I just think that those are things that you can't really concern yourself with at this point if you're a Pelicans fan. You just have to look at what you have on the floor right now and think that this is going to be the group you're going to ride with for the vast majority of this season. And that question was from Waka Waka Wanda. I love that name, Waka Waka Wanda. Uh, but Ali, uh, take us out on this. Adrian Wojnarowski is obviously the best in the business for for a reason. But whenever we do get these tidbits, these hints, these uh, Solomon Hill is ahead of schedule and training in L.A., it always seems to be Woj bombs. Why is it so difficult uh, for us to hear this stuff first? And is he getting this information from Solomon? Is he getting it from his agent? I know you know all this information, so why don't you just tell us? <laughs> well, he's got, you know, when, when you're out there, Preston, and, and been on the scene for as long as Woj has, and he can get to pretty much contact anybody, he's got contacts, people he talks to within every organization. Somebody's going to go ahead and slip him a little bit of information. And uh, you know what? That's just how it works. So, while Pelicans PR, whoever makes the decision, they might be like, okay, well, we got the news. We'll get around to doing it. Uh, they sit down at the computer, drink some coffee, whatever. By the time they do that, Woj is already tweeted out because to him, that getting that information is important. That's how he makes his money. So as soon, I, I'll bet anything that as soon as information is released behind the scenes, Woj knows pretty much whenever, um, like say the rest of the front office knows, whoever is privy to certain information is allowed to have that information. When as soon as they find out, I feel like Woj finds out in the same instant. Yeah, because for him, it's his, it's his livelihood. He's the one getting it out there first. And therefore, you know, other teams are like, well, there's no reason for me to post it now or right away or whatever. You know, that, that's what NBA insiders do. You know, they've earned their trust. Uh, it's a two-way street. It's not just Woj getting the benefit here. They also, he probably knows so many things that he has not yet divulged to uh, the public uh, simply because, you know, he, he trusts his confidants and vice versa. So that's just, it's a two-way street. So as far as Woj, yeah, great. I'm glad he gets it out there first. But you know what? It is important, though. Let's talk about that real quick. I think when he's saying Solomon Hill might be back on track, or um, excuse me, coming back a little bit early, I think, you know, you have to believe that. And as far as Frank Jackson, I have heard rumors that he is going to be back in January. He is practicing a little bit more. He's able to do more court work, skills-related work. 
He's been doing it in pregames. Um, and they have said, including Alvin Gentry, has said we may uh, see him on the court. I think they honestly have an expectation this guy could contribute. And you've got you've to notice that Ian Clark is simply not getting him in. So I feel like there might be a chance for a role there if Ian Clark never snaps out of his funk, if, say, somebody's missing a game or two or just simply isn't on their game and Gentry needs to go to somebody, we may see Jackson get a few minutes. Now, it's not going to be in crunch time or anything, but, you know, I think we'll see Jackson first of three, then Solomon Hill, and within Jensen, I'm with David, though. I have not heard a peep. Three weeks ago, I asked Alvin Gentry point blank. He almost gave me, like, he's a day-to-day thing. I don't see it. The guy got two shots in his knees, was supposed to be gone four to six weeks, yet nobody wants to talk about him, so... With Omar Ashik back, I mean, there, there's not even a need right now. So I don't know what's going on with him, but we may not see him. Dave is right. There may be a chance we don't see him. All right, let's wrap this up real quick. Thank you so much to David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. You can follow him at DM Grubb. David, you've got a featured article up on CrescentCitySports.com right now following the injury suffered to Anthony Davis. Ali, uh, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you all for listening. Remember to retweet and share. We really appreciate your help. We are officially over 50,000 downloads, so keep it up. Thank you, as always, for being here, and let's keep it going this week. Now that I've got all that wrapped up, I can tie it in a bow and submit it to uh, Dash Radio. We can just have a bit of fun and just talk until where uh, we're exhausted with each other. Uh, David, I would love to pick your brain on the Saints because obviously Ali and I were just watching uh, this game. I, I think the final score is 31 to 21. Uh, I don't really think it was as close as the score indicates, although the Panthers had some chances late with that uh, missed fourth down opportunity. I think it was fourth down at six, a, a bold gamble from Ron Rivera. We're always uh, pandering uh, Sean Payton to go for it at spots like that. And then they did it, and it kind of blew up in their face. Obviously, the story is the two running backs. Uh, Drew Brees doesn't even I, – I think he just got over 200 yards. We're seeing a completely different Saints team, one that I can hardly recognize. David, what has been your favorite part about this 9-3 and three start? I think the fact that they have de-emphasized uh, Drew Brees, not that, you know, Drew Brees is a, you know, at this age, everybody's a declining player, um, but he's very sharp still. But I think, the, you know, the formula for the first, for the, for the Super Bowl team was we're going to be one of the best running teams in the NFL. And they were, um, you know, every season that Drew's thrown for 5,000 yards, only one of them did they even make the playoffs. So, you know, as they got away from running the football, they got they were worse as a team. They didn't protect their defense. They didn't protect Drew. He was getting hit more and more. And I think now that they've established the running game and they're one of the elite running teams in the league, they're winning ball games. And that's how you get those close wins that they've gotten. That's how you win on the road. And that travels in Jan in December and January. A running game is always there. Like they say, when you pass, there are three things that can happen and two of them are bad. So, you know, I think that Sean Payton changing his style and going back to what he used to be as a as an offensive mind has been the biggest thing for this team all season. I want to stop you there and Ali jump in at any point uh, you see fit. A lot of people have been drawing to 2009 as the year we were such a good running team, but people forget that a lot of those runs was Mike Bell in garbage time. I remember uh, the, the, the lions, the giants teams, we were just thrashing in the opening five weeks of the season before we got to the dolphins in week six, that was our, our first major test. But up until that point, we were so far ahead of teams by the second quarter that we could just run out the clock early on in the game. Uh, David, it feels to me like stylistically Sean Payton has kind of like given the reins and Drew Brees likewise has given the reins to the running backs early on in games where you used to see like uh, the, the Panthers and the Saints get tied up at seven early on in the game. Sean Payton would 
with, with almost get nervous and say, okay, we got to chuck until we have the lead and then we'll go back to the running game. It, it feels like the, the Saints have actually adopted for the first time in the Sean Payton tenure, in my uh, opinion or knowledge, I'm obviously no kind of expert, but that they truly are a run first team at this point. Even when, when the, when the times get tough, they're still sticking with Kamara, still sticking with Mark Ingram. And, and how cool is it having two potential rookies of the year? Like how did the tie turn? We were killing the saints for these awful drafts and all of a sudden they put together this Marcus Lattimore, Alan Kamara, Trey Hendrickson is now getting the start with Alex Okafor. They obviously miss him. All of us were and killing them for- on the line. Yeah, I know, you know Ryan uh, Ramchick. Uh, like uh, it's it's just such a stunning turnaround, and I hope it keeps going. Uh, I don't know, David. Just just use your expertise. Tell us a bit about what you're expecting. Like we've got another game against the Falcons. Uh, my 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 crippling foe. Not just because you know they're obviously a divisional rival, but my best friend uh, is a diehard Falcons fan, and he's the worst kind of fan. I know that we give Falcons fans a hard time for for being a, a pointed in your nosers, but he is absolutely that guy. I remember when we played the Eagles. He was just carrying on the entire game, uh, the playoffs in 2013, giving me a horrible time. And the second we go for the game-winning kick, he just walks out of the apartment and goes home. I couldn't have been more angry. Uh, what, what do you expect from this matchup? Uh, sitting atop the NFC South right now, do you think we continue to roll, or how nervous are you? I mean, I think you're always nervous because the NFC South is the toughest division in football, and these teams know each other so well, and they have – they stylistically are so different. Each team is very different. Um, but I think as long as Sean Payton can suppress his urges to, like you say, you know, if he runs on first down and you get one yard, you knew second down pass, third down pass, it could be a punt. So, you know, I think there was a, a flash of that in the fourth quarter, you know, Saints are inside their own 15 and he calls for a pass and Drew gets sacked at a very bad time in the game. You're like, why on a second and one? Are you dropping back to pass when you have a, a double-digit lead? So if he can suppress those things, I think the Saints can continue to be successful. Um, what you, I think now the role for Drew Brees should be the closer instead of like before we said the running backs for the closer in the Super Bowl run. Now Drew Brees can be that closer um, in a way if you need him uh, because you're not having him throw the ball 35 times a game. Uh, and I think he'll be, it'll, it'll play much better when he got dead arm. It seemed like as the season went on in, in, in previous years. So I think that running, as long as Sean Payton can stay committed to the running game. And I think that the defense stays sound. They don't but David, listen, sound, I, I think, good. yeah, I just want to say that I think Sean Payton kind of developed that habit because you know what? The, the saints could only win in the past with a lot of their teams was to be gimmicky, was to rely, overly rely on Drew Brees in a passing game. I think now that you've got Ingram and Kamara back there, I think they are being a lot smarter. And it, it, it's not just happenstance. I really think that they've just never had, the, you know, Champagne's never had those weapons. And now he's got a defense. I mean, like you said, Lattimore and, and, and all the other producers. And I think this is maybe, could be his most rounded team. I'm going to be curious to see what everybody else says at the season end and, and you know, how the playoffs unfold. But, Wow, I think so far everybody's expectations have blown away simply because of how great they've been at so many different positions and a lot of backups too. I just don't recall a team this deep. I don't know about you guys. No, I think they are the most well-rounded team he's had since he's been the head coach. Yeah, that's... Because people forget that that defense on the Super Bowl team wasn't that great. It was opportunistic. No, it, it got a lot of turnovers. Yep. But it wasn't a great defense. This defense is much better at, you know, with Cam Jordan playing probably the best football of his career, the linebackers have not been spectacular, but they're not missing tackles. And of course, the secondary is playing at a very high level right now. I mean, guys 
aren't even catching balls. Uh, you know, premier receivers can't even get their hands on, on passes. So um, I think, yeah, defensively, this is the best unit they may have had since he's been there. And that's not hard to be. But I think offensively, I think they've had time when they could run the ball. I think, you know, Pierre Thomas um, and when you had Pierre Thomas and Mark Ingram together, that group could run. But you would see games where Sean Payton would have three or four attempts in the second half rushing the football. I think he fell in love with throwing the football and proving how smart he was as an offensive mind. And I think, you know, in the NFL, keeping it simple a lot of times is really the best way to go. You're going to need to have some shifts in formations and things that people haven't seen. But most of the time, if you do what you do well, you're going to win. And and I think he didn't trust his running game in as much as it wasn't effective. David, let me uh, you're right. l- let yeah, me just ahead, thank you. Let me just uh, finish up on this. Um, take take it away from the offensive line because of uh, significant injuries to Taron Armstead and Zach Streif has has been the play of the offensive line, and I think a lot of it has also been taken away because. I don't think they've had as much time in pass protection. We're, we've just gotten uh, we've just gotten used to Drew Brees like having all the time in the world, being one of the season uh, leaders in, in in lowest hits on the quarterback. But with that being said, this team is opening up significant holes for the running backs. How much of the running production do you do you give to Alvin Kamara? Obviously, he's like a, a once in a lifetime like New Orleans Saints running back. I mean, it, it sounds crazy. Obviously, we've got Dalton Hillier, we've got Ruben Mays, and we've got George Rogers. But I, I think he might already be like one of the five best running backs the New Orleans Saints have ever had, just by sheer talent and force of will, just breaking ta- tackles, that sort of thing. And Mark Ingram, likewise, has been having a, a an almost Pro Bowl type year. How much of that do you give to these amazing running backs, and how much do you give? to Larry Warford and Max Unger and Ryan Ramchick. I mean, I think Unger was the the, the beginning of the change. Uh getting Unger was a, was the the one of the best deals that Mickey Loomis has pulled off because he solidified you need somebody in the middle to make the calls to uh, recognize the, the you know where the defense is coming from and he's one of the best in the league at doing that. So I think once you had him in place, you saw the hits on Breeze start to drop. Um, even when they had the changes in the line as guys were shuffling in and out. I think them finding a role for Andrews Pete and understanding that he was never going to be a left tackle, figuring that out was huge too. Um, But those backs, I mean, last year, Ingram's yards per carry were ridiculous. You know, I mean, he was putting up Pro Bowl numbers all season long last year. He just wasn't getting as many carries as he should have. And now this year, with both of them getting the carries and staying fresh, yeah, I think Kamara is everything we thought Reggie Bush would be. Uh, you know, he's got the home run ability. He's catching the ball out of the backfield. He's, but he's also tough enough to take a hit and keep moving. And so I think that that, yeah, Kamara is as talented as anybody can be. And I think we underestimated Mark Ingram for a number of years. We didn't think he could be an every down back. And he's proving that he's as good an every down back of that second tier, you know, beneath, you know, those guys like, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, I don't even know who the top guy, you know, the running game in the NFL now, but. He's you know, not a premier back, but he's a very good back to have. And to have those two together is like having having Adrian Peterson in his prime back there. And we had the bad Adrian Peterson for those first few weeks, and you saw what that was like. But now to have these two guys playing at their peak, I think it's, it's, it's amazing to watch because we ha- they haven't had a one-two punch like this since you had a healthy Ruben Mays and Dalton Hill- Hilliard. 
All right. Thank you so much for your time again, David. Uh, just to explain for Ali, we're, we're talking behind your back right now, David. So sorry for that. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't very clear about what was happening. So we have this agreement with uh, Nothing But Net Network. Shout out to them uh, at Dash Radio. And we have to keep it under 60 minutes. So what I was saying was that I was going to cut us off there for that radio podcast. But everything we're talking about now will be on our podcast. Of course, you guys can all find it if you search for the bird calls on iTunes or if you search for bird rights. Uh, before we wrap all this up, of course, David Grubb at D. M Grub Two Bs. Uh, you've got a featured article, as I said, CrescentCitySports.com. Uh, David, tell tell our listeners uh, where they can follow you and your work, and what you hope they check out. Yeah, um, I've been getting a lot of great opportunities lately. Uh, you know, like uh, CrescentCitySports.com. Um, I cover LSU, um, just about everything that they do: basketball, football, and baseball. Uh, you know, cover the Pelicans. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, handles are both the same, DM Grub. Uh, and then I'm also on Thursdays from 1220 to 1 o'clock. Uh, I'm on KYOK with AJ Johnson, um, AJ Jones, excuse me, um, on his on the lunch break. And we talk sports there in Houston. Um, I also do uh, radio with WBOK in New Orleans on Fridays with uh, Ro Brown. Uh, so I'm tr- a little bit of everywhere and uh, working on some other things as well. But um and I actually just did some work with uh, the New Orleans Advocate last week on some high school football. So, um, but basketball is my my number one love. Uh, it's been you know my passion since I was a kid. So, you know, ha- getting the opportunity to cover the Pelicans, you know, pro team in my hometown is 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 my favorite thing. Congratulations, man. You seem like an all around nice guy. Uh, great knowledge on the Pelicans. It's it's absolutely my pleasure to be able to talk to to guys like you, like Ali, uh, these great sports writers. Uh, congratulations on the advocate. Everybody make sure you check out uh, the radio stuff. Can you say that one more time where we can find you on the radio? Yeah, KYOK on Thursdays from 1220 to one o'clock. Um, that's the lunch break with AJ Jones. And then in New Orleans, um, one to 2 p.m. on Fridays. Uh, it's a uh, uh, Facts with Roe Brown. So uh, WBOK 1230 uh, AM. Awesome. Ali, my friend, I'm going to see you in a little over a week. Are you excited? Hell yeah. And that's what I was just going to say. You should mention it, David. You, uh, hey, David, Preston's going to be joining us. He's flying in for the Milwaukee Bucks game. Was that in like oh. less than two weeks now? So he's going to join us in the press box, man. We're going to have a blast. I'm going to see if I can get it some of my other guys in but i doubt it but we'll see and maybe we can hang after the game too i don't know what your plans are for that night or maybe you know the night before we're thinking i'll get together and get dinner but i'll let you know ahead of time sure david what is it giannis and tetacumpo can you do it giannis at a giannis yes you guys all for listening remember to retweet and share we really appreciate your help we are officially over fifty thousand downloads like i said so keep it up thank you as always for being here and supporting us let's keep it going this week ollie you want to take us out no no (laughs) no this was a great podcast i love this one david's a good guy but even a smarter basketball mind and hearing him talk football i guess he knows a little saints too huh no, this was good. I hope we can have him back. And uh, we've got four home games coming up. This is going to be a big part. I know it seems like we talk about the Pelicans a lot, and every stretch seems to be big. But this one's really going to be big, depending on Anthony Davis. And as I've been refreshing Twitter like a madman, like every minute or so, Pelicans have not announced anything yet. So I think we're going to go to bed without any news, guys. 
I know. We're just going to have to wait for Adrian uh, Wojnarowski to, to drop us some bombs. I guess we're not going to get them until tomorrow morning. But, you know, you want these guys to be able to enjoy their weekends too, right, David? No. No. <laughs> I want them to do their jobs. Do your job. <laughs> All right, business. I don't get days off. We're working. So exactly. they should be working. I mean, it's, right. how hard is it? I've had an MRI before. It doesn't take that long. <laughs> <laughs> no time off. No time off for any of you. Shams, Adrian, get on your computers right now. We'll end on that. Thank you guys again. Let's go, pals. Technology Truths, brought to you by Geico. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.